Jesus asks that you would please help us understand how that applies to our life. Lord, we know you love us, and we know that you want the best for us, so help us to understand how that passage speaks to that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I've had the blessing of having two different careers that are guaranteed to kill any conversation cold, just from the get-go. First, when I taught English literature, whenever I would tell people that, they'd always say, oh, guess I better watch my grammar, which always annoyed me because I taught literature, not the finer uses of the semicolon, right? And, and besides, what are you supposed to say to something like that? Don't worry about it. I'm not listening to you anyway. I mean, what do you say, right? <laughs> and then there's my current job. Definitely kills conversation. Folks say all kinds of things. You know, some of the things that, you know, oh, man, if I went to church, I'd set off the sinner's alarm. Right? Again, what are you supposed to say? Oh, then come this week. Ours is broken, right? <laughs> Pastors wore it out. But one of the things folks will often say to me when I tell them I'm a pastor is, oh, I'm not very religious. I always know what to say to that. I always say, neither am I. And neither was Jesus. In fact, Jesus hates religion. Or a better word might be religiosity, which is different than real relationship with him. Religion is when we shrink God down to what we are comfortable with. Rules, rituals, and socially acceptable behavior. A great theologian by the name of Bono puts it this way. Religion can be the enemy of God. It's what happens when God, like Elvis, has left the building. A list of instructions where there was once conviction. Dogma where once people just acted. A congregation led by a man where once they were led by the Holy Spirit. Religion shrinks God. And the problem with a shrunken God is if that's what you are following, then we're going to live smaller, shrunken lives. I have a friend who's an associate pastor in a big church, and one Sunday, while the senior pastor was preaching, my friend was up on the front chancel, kind of a formal sanctuary, taking notes while the senior pastor was preaching. After the service, this woman made a beeline for him and started just kind of laid into him and said, it is not proper for you to take notes in church. If you want to remember something, go get a tape and, 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 and buy a tape so you can remember it. My friend said, it's the only time I've been chastised paying attention in church, right? <laughs> now, just... As a, and as, I love it when I see people taking notes. It makes me feel like people are paying attention. And it's way better than what I've had to get used to lately, which is sometimes seeing people texting while I'm preaching. Right? Very disturbing. So I just tell myself it's not that they're bored. It's that they liked what I just said and they're posting it to their Facebook page. <laughs> and I just keep telling myself that. So don't, don't disabuse me of that notion. Taking notes in church, that's not proper. That's religiosity. This is the God box, this is the church box, and if it doesn't fit inside there, then it, it, it can't be any good. And the result is, she's focused on what? The notepad, which is very small, instead of God, who is very big. That's why God hates religion. It makes him so much less interesting than he actually is, and slightly annoying. But Jesus, Jesus is different Jesus, if, we, if what we follow is the Jesus, the risen Lord who conquered death, if we're following him, not religion, not religiosity, then Jesus empowers us to live bigger, bolder, more audacious lives than religion ever can. Lives where we see God's power unleashed, maybe even see a miracle. In the story that we read today, Jesus shows up in his hometown at the synagogue. Basically church, right? Place of worship. But not only do the hometown folks not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, it's worse than that. It says they're offended by him. 
Jesus is offensive to them. So here's the irony. They go to church to connect with God, but when the incarnate God is in their midst, they miss it because Jesus didn't fit inside their religion box for lots of reasons. For starters, he was from the wrong part of the country. He was from Nazareth, which was considered Hicksville, right? Uh, um, uh, in the Gospel of John, Nathaniel, a man named Nathaniel puts it this way, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's sort of like saying the Tri-Cities, can anything good come from the Tri-Cities? You know, or Fife, can anything good come from there, right? Their religiosity made them think that, that, that the Messiah had to come from somewhere really important, like Jerusalem. Plus, Jesus seemed too ordinary to be the Messiah. You know, they, they, their religiosity said the Messiah would come in pomp and circumstance and all kinds of stuff like that. On top of that, Jesus' family was suspect. There's a little dig in this text where it says, isn't this Mary's son? Now, in that culture, normally you, you would use the father's name. Isn't this Joseph's son? If you use the mother's name, that was a way of questioning someone's paternity. We don't know who his father is. We've heard rumors about that Mary back then, right? There's a word for that in English, and that's what they're calling Jesus. And certainly that didn't fit their religious box of what the Messiah should be. This is the last sermon in a series we've called None of the Above, where whenever Jesus was faced with a bunch of lousy options, he always chose a third different way instead. But the problem with a third way, none of the above, out-of-the-box God is that by definition he does not fit into our preconceived notions of what he should do and what he should be. And so often we miss what he's doing in our lives. And I include myself in that big time. The text, says today, the text today says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. I sort of like the way Mark puts that, right? Oh, he, he couldn't do any miracles except for a few paltry healings, right? Because as Jesus goes on to say, in his own hometown, a prophet is without honor. Well, here's what I find interesting and challenging. What's the hometown of Jesus today? Well, in a way, it's the church, isn't it? And he can't, that's where he can't do miracles. Maybe the reason we see so few miracles in the Western church, happening all over the rest of the world, but in the, rest of, in the Western church, maybe it's because we've got him in our religious boxes, just like the religious folk did back then. That's Mark's point. In fact, if you look at what precedes this, this text, Jesus is doing miracles left, right, and center. He heals a, a demon-possessed man in a region called the Decapolis, which was basically the Las Vegas of Israel, right? What happened in the Decapolis stayed in the Decapolis, kind of a thing. Considered very sinful. Then he heals a woman who'd had a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years, which would have meant that she was ritually unclean, would not have been allowed in the synagogue. Those are the people that get it. The, 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 the outcasts, the people everyone considers as sinful, they recognize him. They are open to his miracles, but not the religious folk because they've got him in their religious box. They've tamed him and shrunk him down to what they can handle, which, as I said, makes Jesus way less interesting than he actually is for a couple of reasons. For starters, religion is about piety. Go to church, hear a sermon, say grace at dinner, all good things. But they, they can become just rote. Certain rituals in certain places at certain times, neat, tidy, all in order, but let's not emotion get into that. Right? Wouldn't want any of that. But Jesus was passionate. I love the line in the song, love's like a hurricane. Jesus was passionate about God and about people and about this world, and his followers were the same. Another thing, religion is about maintaining socially acceptable behavioral norms. But Jesus was always busting out 
of those norms. That's what he did, right? You're always making people uncomfortable. At one point, when Jesus comes to heal a man, the way he does that is he spits on the ground and he makes mud. And then he puts it in the guy's eyes to heal him. Gross. Right? Try that sometimes. Spit on the ground, make mud, put it in someone's eyes, right? You will not get invited to their Christmas party. I guarantee it. Right? At one point, Jesus calls the religious leaders of his day a brood of vipers, not polite. Another place in the Bible, one of my favorite passages, when his family heard about this, they went out to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. His own family thought he was crazy. Jesus made people very uncomfortable. A good friend of mine who is a, is a pastor in another state, every year does a conference for Christian leaders. And during one of these seminars, one of the speakers was, was, was teaching on healing. And, you know, this was not a Pentecostal sem, uh, conference. This was, you know, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Methodists. So he's teaching on healing, this guy, and they're all taking notes as, you know, Methodists and Presbyterians and Lutherans have been taught to do. They're taking notes, right? Not getting chastised for it, as in the story I told earlier. And then all of a sudden, the speaker goes, I think God wants to heal someone here today. So he walks, and everyone gets really uncomfortable. Really uncomfortable. So he walks over to this guy in a wheelchair who's had a degenerative disease his whole life, muscles completely atrophied, and he starts praying for the guy. Nothing happens. So now the room is really uncomfortable. So then he says, hey, you guys, put your notepads down. You all come over here, lay hands on this guy, and let's all pray for him. Now things got really uncomfortable. This is a seminar. I'm here to learn, not experience anything, right? Well, you know where this is going. The guy got up out of the wheelchair and is walking today. He's, you know, he's got a little bit of weakness left in his legs. Sometimes he has to use a cane, but he's walking. Now, this was told to me by a good friend who sought, who this guy was in his congregation, so he's known this guy a long time that got healed. Right? There's no reason my friend would lie to make this up, especially since his church got mad at him for it. Right? Now, a lot of people in that room, when that happened, they were thrilled. You can only imagine, right? They were super stoked. And then there was another group. They were mad. And they had all kinds of theological bones to pick with it, all kinds of issues that they had with it. But the real issue is they were uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable. Now, I know that story raises all kinds of questions. When does God heal? Why does God, why, you know, when, why? And I've talked about all that before, but here's the challenge that story gives to me. And maybe it's just to me. It gives, the challenge it gives, because I would have been one of the uncomfortable people. I would have been probably one of the complainers even. Here's what that, it challenges me. It says, Scott, here's the deal. You can be comfortable or you can have a miracle. You pick. Because God's power isn't always comfortable. And so when something like that happens that makes us uncomfortable, instead of saying, that must be wrong because it doesn't fit my religious ideas, I think the question to ask is, is it biblical? Is it of God? Can I find it in the Bible? And discern from there whether or not it's legit. Okay, there are other things that religion is about. I'm just going to tick off one or two more. Religion is about rules <clears throat> instead of transformation. Safety instead of adventure. You know, we pray, Lord, keep me physically and financially and socially safe. Good prayers to pray. Good. But how about also praying, Lord, give me enough challenges to keep me growing and keep me alive. And on and on and on. But here's the deal. You look at the Jesus column, and to me, that looks so much more interesting, so much more dynamic, so much more alive than what's over there in the religion column. I mean, I'd way rather live over on that right-hand column. Last week, the scripture passage was Acts chapter 2, and in it, it describes um, the Holy Spirit coming down on the disciples, and when it did, there were tongues of fire 
that came out of the sky and rested on everyone. So some of us were asking the question, what would we do if one day in worship here, tongues of fire actually came down out of heaven? What would we do? And I said, I don't know. I'd probably call the fire department, right? And then Roslyn, one of our pastors here, she said, oh, good. I'm glad someone knows the protocol. She's British. They're very into protocol, right? That's what our relig religiosity does. It quenches the fire, quenches the passion, quenches the power. But Jesus is not religious. And he's not a-religious either. And he's not irreligious. And he's not, oh, I'm just spiritual. He's none of the above. And instead, he gives us a third way that involves three things that start with the letter R and are so much more life-giving than religion. And the first is this. Jesus is about relationship. Religion is about rules. And rules can be very helpful, but rules without relationship will never change anyone. Rules just make us want to rebel. Right? Plus, our whole faith becomes about the rules, about sin maintenance. And we get so focused on keeping the rules that we, that we forget about Jesus. It's sort of like what Albert Einstein said about driving. He said, a man who can drive safely while kissing a pretty girl simply isn't giving the kiss the attention it deserves. I have no clue what the context for that was, right? Like, how would he say, I don't know, E equals MC squared. By the way, did you know? But I think that's a great description of how we do our faith. We get so focused on the rules, we're not giving Jesus the attention he deserves. But if we ask Jesus, help me experience you, and as we do, we begin to be transformed. As you know, the Jubilee Reach Center, which is a Christian resource center started by this church, to help at-risk families, they've been invited to run the sports programs in Bellevue Middle Schools. Now, the deal is we cannot proselytize, we can't say Jesus on campus, but we can show him. Well, one day, one of the coaches in this program, 22 years old, was having trouble with one of the kids, who I'll call Kevin. Kevin was yelling at his teammates, being derogatory, cussing. So finally, the coach said that, you know, Kevin, if you're going to be this way, you need to sit out the practice for the rest of the day. So Kevin said, I'll do even better than that. I quit took off his jersey, threw it on the ground, stormed off, and then said, shut up, only there was another word inserted in between those two, a bad word. Well, the next day, the coach told the principal what had happened, and the principal said, oh yeah, Kevin has always had an attitude issue. It turns out Kevin doesn't have any parents. He was living with a woman who wasn't his mom, and she was doing the best for him, but he'd never had a male role model. So this coach figured out that what was really going on was that Kevin desperately wanted to be a man and was acting out of a false version of manhood. And that, that, you know, that was his belligerence, just kind of this false, cheap version of manhood. So the coach went to Kevin and he said, you know what, Kevin, I see potential in you. And I would love to have you back on the team if you're willing to apologize to your teammates and if you're willing to run 10 long sprints every day for a week to show that you're serious and that you're sorry. Then you can come back. So Kevin agreed. But then when it came time to run those 10 long sprints, he started the same old attitude, right? Oh, no, this sucks. I'm not going to do it. No way. On and on. <clears throat> so the coach said, tell you what, I'll make you a deal. These sprints have got to be run. That's just justice. But I'll make you a deal. I'll run the sprints for you. Recognize that? Is there a metaphor in that? We can't say Jesus, but we can show Jesus. So the coach started running the sprints. He said after the first one, he thought to himself, hey, these are hard, right? <clears throat> Meanwhile, Kevin was going crazy on the sidelines. He said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'll do them. I'll run it. Stop. I'll run it. I'll run it. So the coach paused and he looked at him and said to Kevin, it's called grace. Go home and look it up. 
The coach says that now Kevin is his most enthusiastic player. Always right there by his side. Loves this coach. Always right there with him. Whole attitude transformed. Not through rules. Not through religion. But through relationship and grace and guidance. Jesus is not about religion or rules. He's about relationship. And he asks us to be the same. Second thing, Jesus isn't religious, he's revolutionary. Only it's not a political revolution. It's a revolution in how we think. Jesus said stuff that just is out of the box. If you lose your life, you'll find it. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus infuriated the political left of his day and the political right of his day. He wants to change our whole way of thinking. So here's my challenge to all of us, me included. If Jesus never offends us, It's not Jesus we're following, it's religion. If Jesus never confuses us, it's not Jesus we're following, it's religion. If Jesus never makes us uncomfortable, it's not Jesus we're following, it's religion. If Jesus never offends our politics, I don't care what side you're on, it's not Jesus we're following, it's religion. If Jesus never challenges our ideas of what's good for us and what success looks like and what our kids actually need and what they don't, if Jesus never challenges, offends, or makes us uncomfortable, it's not Jesus we're following, it's religion. So, homework. Read at least one of the Gospels between now and Christmas. Last year, I asked you to read all four, you know, and many of you did that. This year, just one. I'm getting soft in my old age. Read one of the Gospels, and each day before you read, pray this prayer. Jesus, offend me. Jesus, challenge my politics, my values, my ideas of what's good for me, and my ideas of what's good for my kids. And then write down all those moments where you feel this, oh, of discomfort. Not so that you can feel guilty. No, no, no. Jesus loves you and guilt is of the devil. But so that you can experience the abundant, rich, exciting, audacious life that Jesus wants to give us. Relationship, revolution, and finally, Jesus is about renewal. His mission is to make all things new and we are invited to be part of that. There's a speaker named Barbara Johnson who tells a story of speaking at a Christian women's conference. And after she finished uh, her first talk, she was exhausted, so she was really glad that it was lunch. But right as she sat down to have her lunch, this woman comes up to her. Her eyes were just big with fear and told her that a prostitute had wandered into this Christian women's conference uh, in order to hide from her pimp. And that, and that she was upstairs, was suicidal, but had heard Barbara's talk and wanted to talk to Barbara. And Barbara's sitting there thinking, oh man, why me? I'm tired. I mean, with someone else, I'm tired. But then she remembered the title of her talk, which literally was, What Would Jesus Do? So, you know, that's the problem with being a preacher. Sometimes you actually have to live it, right? And, and, and at the end of this talk, she had passed out a button that said, Someone Jesus loves has AIDS to encourage the women to be more compassionate. So, what could she do? She got a group of these kind of middle-class women together. Then they went in to meet with this, this prostitute. And this woman was dirty. She, she smelled from having been sleeping in dumpsters. Her pimp was trying to kill her because she wanted to stop turning tricks, and she had a bullet hole in her leg to prove it. Plus, she had full-blown AIDS. Well, the women in this group had never... Had, they were really uncomfortable. They'd never seen a prostitute. They'd never met anyone with AIDS. That sort of thing didn't happen at First Presbyterian this and Second Methodist that, or so they thought. So Barbara gave this woman the button that said someone... Jesus loves has AIDS. And this woman just stared at it and stared at it. And finally she said, is this true? And that led to a great conversation about Jesus and grace and how he could change her life, which ended with her accepting Jesus as her leader and her forgiver. 
Well, then all the other women, they just went to work. They went and got some soap, some shampoo, some clean clothes. And Barbara set this woman down on a stool in the shower because she couldn't stand up. And Barbara helped her get clean. And then Barbara had an inspiration. She said, since you're here in the shower anyway, mind if I baptize you? Do you know how many church rules there are against that? No pastor, no elder. It hadn't been vetted. It hadn't been approved, right? She did it anyway. Yay, right? Then they went to town. They got her to a doctor. They got her some medical attention. After that, they bought her a bus ticket to get her out of town and away from that pimp. Some of them located some churches they knew in the new town that could help her out, as well as some resource centers there that could help her get a new life. They all gathered around her, prayed for her. This woman was sobbing. And then as she was getting on the bus, she stopped and she said, wait, that button. So they dug out her dirty clothes, pulled the button off, and she pinned it on herself proudly. And then they sent her on her way to a new life. Well, after the bus pulled out, the women were just standing there kind of silent for a long time. And then finally one of them said, that was scary, but really cool. <laughs> That's not religion. That's not piety. That's not reinforcing comfort and social norms. That's relationship, revolution, and renewal. And it's way more exciting than religion. So where might you have Jesus in a religious box? We all do it, including me. Where do you find yourself thinking Jesus would never do X or Y or Z or church shouldn't be? Or, and some of that may be true and right and biblical, but some of that might just be religion or social convention talking. So will you read one gospel and ask yourself, Jesus, who are you really? What's really true about you and what's just social convention or religious convention? And then let Jesus challenge your religious, political, and social assumptions. And then one more thing, follow Jesus outside your comfort zone. Do something he calls you to do that scares you in faith, trusting that Jesus loves you, that he believes in you, and that he wants you to have a big, bold, audacious life. Let's lose our religion so we can find Jesus. I'll close with this. This summer, my family and I visited my parents in the Tri-Cities. And one afternoon, I was sitting on a dock at the Columbia River. And the cross-country team from a local high school, they came running by. And some of them walked out on the dock, on the other end of the dock from where I was sitting. And they were looking in the river. They were saying things, I don't know, should we jump in? It's hot. Maybe we should. I don't know. That current looks fast. It looks swift. It might be dangerous. Right? And they didn't think I could hear them, but I could. And I was just sitting there enjoying a nice summer day until I heard one of them say, hey, let's ask the old guy if he wants to jump in. <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> right? And then, I don't know, I could have made this up, but then I thought I heard the words might have a heart attack in there somewhere, and I don't know the context, but it couldn't have been good. Right? So what did I do? What would you have done? Who's old, right? So I stood up and I said, jump in. So we all started jumping in, and, 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 and the current did take us downstream. It actually was very fast, right? <laughs> very strong. And then we swam upstream again, got out, jumped in some more, let the current take us down, swam upstream, jumped in some more. It was actually really fun. It was very refreshing. I had some great conversations with some teenagers who think that I am amazingly old. I'm like the crypt keeper to them, right? <laughs> Here's the deal. Sitting on the dock, that's religion. Okay for a while, but... Mm, Boring. The river, that's Jesus. Powerful, a little bit scary, a little uncomfortable. It can take you downstream, but also refreshing, renewing, and so much more adventure. 
Jesus is not some gentle little creek. He is a rushing river. He is not a house cat tamed and petted and pampered by religion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, king of kings and lord of lords, alpha, omega, beginning and end. And he does not call us to a life of puny piety propagated by pale Presbyterian pastors. He calls us to a bold, audacious life where we walk in his power, speak with his authority, live in his integrity, shine in his victory, and allow him to change the world through the power that is at work within us. Not religion, but relationship, revolution, and the making new of all things, including us. That's what Jesus is about. That's what I want to be about. How about you? So Jesus, lead us out of our religiosity, all of the boxes we put you in, make us uncomfortable. Challenge us. Lord, call us to follow you and only you, and we will give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.